0: Welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers. I'm Dr. Becky Bailey, the creator of Conscious Discipline, expert in education, child development, and a lifelong teacher and learner. For those listening who are not aware of Conscious Discipline, it is a comprehensive, trauma-informed, self-regulation program that integrates three wonderful things, social-emotional learning, school culture, and discipline. Conscious Discipline is a brain-based program that helps educators use current neuroscience understanding in regard to the impact of stress and trauma on learning. It provides the seven powers for conscious adults to help teachers regulate their emotions enough to see conflict differently, and the seven basic skills of discipline that empower teachers to respond to conflict in a way that instills life skills. So what are real teachers? Real teachers are just that real people. During lockdowns, real teachers are charged with managing their own fears so as to help keep their students safe and calm. After lockdowns, real teachers are charged with helping children shift from a life-and-death drill or a real situation back to learning. Real teachers, like real people, need help in achieving these overwhelming tasks. Today we're talking about school lockdowns from a teacher's perspective. This is part two of a four-part series. Part one, we discuss lockdowns from the perspective of a principal. Lockdowns and school shootings are a harsh reality facing us all. Since Sandy Hook, 200,000 teachers and students have experienced the stress or trauma of being involved in a school shooting. Trauma basically is defined as a series of events or one event that overwhelms a person's ability to cope. There are two components to traumatic experiences. The objective one, that's what's happening, and the subjective one, the how we feel about it, how we think about it. It is the subjective experience of the event that constitutes the trauma. The more you believe that you are endangered, the more traumatized you will be. Psychologically, the bottom line of trauma is overwhelming emotions and a feeling of utter helplessness. It impacts the body because literally the body begins preparing you to die. Two people can go through the same horrible event and one person might be traumatized while another person is not. If you have not already, I encourage you to watch my webinar series about trauma at ConsciousDiscipline.com. The dilemma about lockdowns is not whether we need them or not. Obviously, they are crucial for surviving a school shooting. The bigger dilemma is how do we conduct them, live best through them, and recover from them in such a way that learning re-enters the school building as fast as the fear dissipates. Today, I'll be talking with two different teachers. Tiffany Taylor. Tiffany has been in early childhood education for 23 years, teaching both pre-kindergarten and kindergarten, and also working at the district level to support teachers. And Kristen Apel, who spent most of her education career in fifth grade. So we're going to begin with Tiffany. Welcome, Tiffany, to Real Talk for Real Teachers.
1: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: Okay, so now the last four years you've been working at Grand Avenue Elementary. So Tell us about Grand Avenue first before we start.
1: Okay, I was there six years. The last four were pre-K. I taught pre-K at Grand Avenue, and we're actually a primary learning center. We have Head Start through second grade. And we are nestled in the historic Paramore community, which is one of the oldest communities in Central Florida, but also the least resourced. Um, High poverty, high crime, and then all of the side effects of those two put together.
0: So my guess is then you do have lockdown drills, even in the primary schools.
1: Yes, our district requires them monthly.
0: Monthly. Okay, so tell us how the drill goes, and how would you go about this with four-year-olds?
1: It's always an adventure. What happens is an administrator comes on the intercom and calls the code red, lockdown. Uh, Immediately, we bring the children to a place where they cannot be seen from windows or any open area. We check the hallways for any kids that are transitioning to classes, and then we lock the doors and then turn the lights off. Everything has to be quiet and still. So how many four-year-olds do you have in a classroom? Um, we can have 15 to 20. I've averaged about 15. And they all sit there quietly? Well, we try to keep that going. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is a challenge, but I found my last four years experience, it didn't seem to affect the kids very much. They just thought we were going to go sit down and be quiet activity. They didn't quite get the, the lockdown piece. So they didn't
0: understand what was going on.
1: Right. And we would explain this is so if um, there's someone on the campus that's not safe, we can keep ourselves safe and the rest of the school. We all do the same thing at the same time. And so you taught them the procedure, just like any other procedure? Correct. It was the same place and the same routine uh, each time. Oh, so they really did not comprehend
0: the severity of the situation? Not at all. Okay. Now, have you had any shooters
1: or active shooters on campus? We had a situation that he wasn't actually on campus, but he was at the bus stop on the corner of our campus right outside the gate, came off of, uh, of the bus, tried to rob someone and had a rifle in hand, did shoot. And so we immediately went into lockdown and followed those procedures. Now, did the kids seem to recognize that as a gunshot? No, it was towards the end of the day. So they were actually in activity centers. I had some outdoor activities going on. So I was standing there monitoring and I heard it. And so then we came in and then we got the call from the intercom. And how was that for you? It was very scary because it was very close. I could tell. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know what's going on, if it is on campus. So it was very, very frightening. Did the kids pick up on your fear? How did you manage them
0: and you at the same time?
1: Well, it it was a challenge. I'm sure they did pick up on my excitement, my anxiousness at first. But then I, I just reminded them, this is what we're going to do. I worked on my act of calming, and we followed the procedures just as much as we could. So that actual training helped you? It did. It did.
0: So these kids come from the neighborhood of Grand Avenue, correct? Yes. Yep. So there's a good chance they are familiar with drive-by shootings or have some experience with uh, gunshots. Would you agree?
1: Unfortunately, yes. Many very personal experiences, family members, uh, friends. So you know some
0: kids have had people in their families that have been shot? Yes, Is there any kind of procedure they have at their home if someone gets a little out of hand with the guns?
1: Not that I know of. I know it's common to just drop and crawl to try to be together in a common place, but I don't think it's a very set routine or a set place. So drop and crawl. In the moment. So did any
0: of the kids drop and crawl or did they lay on their bellies or did they sit up or what did they do over there when you got them in a quiet space?
1: Well, you th- we start off with great intentions of sitting up. And then as you start to see, they tire because this uh, lockdown uh, lasted for a good 45 minutes. So we just tried to keep the calm. And if they needed to shift to lay down or lay back, we tried to allow for that in a way that would still keep them safe. But to be honest, they really seemed very unaffected, which was yeah, that's interesting. It. Yes. So did you think they were unaffected because they didn't
0: comprehend it or because maybe they're desensitized to it?
1: My opinion is a little bit of both. Just from stories they had shared with me, connecting with their families and knowing things that were going on in their home life, I, I think it was a little bit of both.
0: Wow. Wow. What about the older grades, the second graders? Did you talk to some of their teachers? What was the overall sense of this at the school?
1: It was almost a little excitement. There was something going down, something happening in the neighborhood. That was probably anxious fear. But there was certainly more awareness of what was going on. And we had such an excellent team in second grade that they were able to take that anxiety, that excitement, that fear, and bring it down to a calm as well. Hmm. So... It's interesting that you use those two words,
0: anxious, excited. What I'm hearing you say is certainly there was fear, but also there was an excitement of what's happening, who's doing it, kind of like a fight, you yes. know what I mean? Back in the day, you know, you would have a fight in the courtyard at school and everybody go, oh boy, fight, 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 you know, and it's almost kind of like a curiosity as well as possibly as some the, fear.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: So do you have any suggestions for people who work in early childhood when they're in public schools and have these monthly lockdowns? What would be some tips you have for those people?
1: I think it would be helpful to always relate it back to safety. And this is how we take care of each other. Sometimes that people are angry or upset and they might do hurtful things, but we can always keep ourselves safe. So using that language of safety and taking care of each other, also having visuals, if you can, of the routine, Uh, maybe even taking pictures as you go through it or finding pictures on the internet, things that they can actually see this is what we're going to do. And just reassuring them that my job is a safekeeper and I'm going to do my job.
0: Sounds like that's about all we can do.
1: Absolutely, Becky. There, um, That's really all we can do. But there are some things that we can do before the actual lockdown drill happens that I think will be really helpful. And I think if I had to pick three, the number one thing that we could do is to really, really promote that language of safety and have a safekeeper ritual in place, just constantly reminding the children that I'm the safekeeper, I'm going to keep you safe from hurting on the inside and on the outside, and I'm going to do my job every day in every capacity possible. So having a safekeeper ritual in the morning, every morning as part of the BrainSmart start and morning routines and just using that language of safety throughout daily interactions with the children. Also, what was really helpful for us was having visuals to take the children step through step of what we would do in the event of a lockdown drill or an actual lockdown and helping them connect with all of the staff at Grand Avenue so that they would know that even if they weren't in the classroom with their safekeeper, me, that there would be Everyone on campus that they had seen and gotten used to because of our friends and family board, they would be there also to be safe keepers. When I taught kindergarten, we would send children to the library in pairs. And so if if children were out in the halls during a lockdown, they would have to go to the safest, the closest teacher as their safe place. So I wanted them to be really familiar with all of the safe keepers at Grand Avenue as well as me, their safe keeper, and our personal school family. So that was helpful to have those visuals of the step-by-step process and also any person that they may come into contact with during a lockdown or any type of drill that was for their physical safety. And I think the last piece is just to really, really help the children practice keeping their calm. and, And you have to keep your calm, absolutely before you can teach it to them. but offer suggestions for calming and action. Have certain breathing techniques that you might use in a lockdown drill. Um, have a mobile safe place. Some of my children needed more tactile opportunities to um, or resources rather, to feel safe. So we had a little mobile safe place that we could just grab as we went to our designated space. I know some teachers use silent songs or even the I love you rituals during that time, just to really help children feel safe, but also developmentally uh, be engaged for their age level. And I really think, again, the safekeeper piece is the biggest part because it's moments and situations like that where the safekeeper job becomes really real for young children. It can be an abstract concept sometimes. And so when they actually are experiencing this, that physical safety and knowing that I'm there, I'm going to keep them safe, and whatever I need to do, I'm going to do, is really, really helpful. And Becky, there is one more word of encouragement I'd like to offer to all the other real teachers out there, and that is that, you know, more and more of these situations are happening, and they're terrifying and so scary for adults as well as for young children and even young adults but with the with the skills and the powers of conscious discipline and that constant reminder of safety for yourself and for those in your care you got this you will have what you need to get through this and to keep the kids safe you safe and, and to just get through these these really difficult times or experiences and so I say that because with the power of conscious discipline and, and the power of your heart as a teacher will help you overcome this. The trust that you've created with in the children and with yourself will will really carry you through.
0: Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you for your time and thank you for your dedication to children and families.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Now let's turn our attention to Kristen Abel. Kristen is a twenty-five-year National Board certified teacher. She has a bachelor's degree in elementary education and her master's in educational leadership. She has spent the majority of her teaching time in fifth grade and is a certified conscious discipline instructor. Welcome, Kristen, to Real Talk for Real Teachers.
2: Thank you, Dr. Bailey. I'm excited to be here. This is uh, an exciting topic, an important topic for us to talk about.
0: It certainly is. Now, before we jump into lockdowns, Kristen, just kind of give us a brief view of when did conscious discipline enter into your career? How long have you been implementing and have you found it helpful and seen a change in what you're doing and what the children are doing too.
2: I was very fortunate to have a principal, um, Kim Whitney, back in 2003 when I was at Fern Creek Elementary, who invited me to be a part of the implementation team with our school. And I went to my first CD1 in 2003 um, and immediately began implementing conscious discipline, not only in my classroom, but also in my personal life. Um, I helped Fern Creek implement conscious discipline and moved from a grade D at Fern Creek to a grade A. And we were A for uh, three years. And we attribute a lot of that to conscious discipline and the strategies we used and the rituals. And that's been 15 years. Wow. It has been. I owe it all to the principal that uh, brought me to my first CD1 and encouraged me to continue to grow in my journey. And I then followed another principal to uh, another school, and I was the only one doing conscious discipline in fifth grade at that school. Um, but I stayed strong and stayed the course and did conscious discipline not only with me, but with my students. And so you kept it
0: up even though that wasn't the norm in your school and was that because you're finding it effective or old habits or what What made you continue with it?
2: Well, I think because I saw a change in myself and I saw how important it was and how it impacted my students at Fern Creek, which was a high poverty school. We uh, serviced the Coalition for the Homeless and I saw the benefits of my students and the safety that they felt with me and the pattern seeking that we did each day in our classroom. And so I knew the value of it and I moved to a different type of school, But the need was still there. And I knew that my students needed those structures, needed those routines, needed the school family just as much as I did so that I could enjoy learning and teaching and working with them. That sounds phenomenal. So now let's
0: shift to the topic at hand. Let's talk about active shooter drills or lockdowns as we call them. Do you have these procedures at your school?
2: Yes, in all of the schools that I have been at, we have procedures in place for lockdown drills. And our district also um, has gone a little bit further so that we have them actually separated. So there are different, I I guess, levels, if you will. If things happen on campus, we have different sayings for each one so we know what is happening on our school. Okay, give us an example. What are the sayings then? Well, there's one that's lockdown lay down, and that is the one that is an active shooter. And that's the one where you immediately turn off the lights, close the doors, lock, and you go into a safe area with your students, take your cell phone. Another one is they tell you to leave the campus. So it's you exit, you take your purse, you take your cell phone, and you take your students, and you leave the vicinity of the school. That could be a bomb threat. Um, And there's also one where you just go into the building and you lock your doors, but you're not on a lay down. You're just locked into the room, but you can continue on, if you will, with your day, even though you're locked into the classroom. So there's different levels that we have that we can, I guess, classify the situation.
0: Well, that does give you a little bit more information as opposed to just the basic
2: lockdown. So... Do you practice these? Do you have drills for all these? We do. We have drills, and I'm on the team that helps to plan when we'll have those drills, and we try to have the drills. Even though you can never plan for a situation, we try to have the drills, like when the cafeteria is full or students are out at recess or people are at, you know, PE or art and music, so that the students can experience it at different times of the day and not just with their homeroom teacher.
0: Okay, so let's go back to you as the fifth-grade teacher How do you prepare your students for the drill? And do you do anything helping them on two levels? One, know the procedure. And two, how are you going to manage yourself or self-regulate, as we call it in conscious discipline? Or do you help them with that process too? Or you just teach them the procedure and then just everybody go?
2: If I do know that the drill is happening, I let my students know ahead of time because I think it's important that they know we are practicing today. And today is just a drill, and we're going to go through the procedures. And we talk through what that looks like and sounds like and what it feels like. And we go through all of those things. And we talk about breathing. And yes, we have to be quiet, but you can still take your deep breath. So we do all of those before we even start the drill. So I make sure and prep my students because it's also prepping myself. So if we're all in this together, if they're breathing, then it will help to remind myself to breathe as well. If I'm breathing, then it will help them to know to breathe as well too. If it's a surprise drill, then my first inclination is to take a breath and hope that it's a drill. And if it's not a drill, then I get myself set ready to go. And I grab my phone, grab my list of students, and I start breathing and I start making sure that my heart is full and it's wishing well. So that Because I know my students are going, to, the very first thing out of their mouth is, Mrs. Abel, is this a drill? And so I have to say, I'm assuming it is, but we don't know. And that's why we have to, we have to go to our area. So I immediately just start with, I will keep you safe. My job is to keep you safe. Let's get to where we need to be. Let's take a deep breath. Even though I'm whispering all of this, I'm making sure to know that you know what to do. We keep breathing. We're safe. I will keep you safe. And we just go through that. I will say it really doesn't matter if they know there's a drill or even if it's a surprise drill, their emotions run high for both of them. It it is a very, intense situation for a practice or even a surprise practice. They are, are very aware of the situation and very aware of their emotions during that time.
0: All that is part of conscious discipline, but what about the teachers that don't practice conscious discipline? Do you think they're doing anything to help these kids regulate their emotions, or are they just going through the procedure of how you do it.
2: I think a lot of them are going through the procedure because I think immediately when that happens, I think our fear kicks in and I have the skills to breathe and and know that I can handle whatever comes my way. But I think some teachers, just because they are frightened and they're not sure what to do, the fear leads them. And I think we hear a lot of, be quiet, sit down, be quiet. Shh. We don't know what this is. And, And a lot of that shortness of quick to just be quiet stop and I don't think they're breathing and I think it just revs them up which also revs the kids up and I don't think they do it intentionally I think it's just their reaction to the situation and if I didn't have the skills of just taking deep breaths I can see myself falling into that trap as well of just short breaths and not saying what I need to say or being short with them and not being calm and have a calm voice with my students
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it is a natural reaction when you have a threat Mm -hmm. around you that that would be a natural response. So you would have to have a skill set to take you from that threat back up to a more calm experience.
2: Yes, I agree with you. You would definitely need to know to take those deep breaths. You know what the plan is. You, You know what to follow. I can handle this. We've practiced. I know what to do, whether this is a drill or if it's for real. Breathe. I can handle this. My job is to keep myself safe and my students safe. And that's what I say through the whole thing. And so you're doing that then during the actual drill too. Yes, I am. I'm constantly reassuring them and, and, and just touching them, you know, giving them a pat, because we're all crowded together, you know, wherever the, the lockdown is in our classroom and we're all together. You know, one time we were at recess and we had to run in and we were in the bathroom in the library and I was like, We got this. We're all together, everyone's here. We had a couple extra kids from another class. I said, Welcome. We're gonna take deep breath, we're all gonna be in here together till it's done. We can handle this take a deep breath. We're all going to be safe. So you just immediately start that. I just start that. You can handle this. We're safe. I will keep you safe. You will keep us safe. Breathe. We can handle this. Not only for me, but for my students as well. So all together, it's just one big group of breathing people to help us get through it.
0: (laughs) Have you seen an actual child
2: that to some degree was freaking out, going kind of off the deep end? I have. And and I can think of one uh, young man, a fifth grader in particular, and this was an actual lockdown. We had a criminal in the vicinity of our school who had robbed a bank and had run toward the school. So they put the entire school on lockdown, lay down, and we were all crammed um, in the corner of my classroom where you find a spot where nobody supposedly can see you. And I remember him sitting right next to me. We're all on the floor and he just looked at me. I could see the fear in his face. I could see the fear in his eyes. And I kept kept saying to him, it's okay. We're here. You can handle this. I will keep you safe. And I finally said to him, I have a plan. So I had to basically tell him that if somebody came into the room, I would help him keep him safe. That I had a plan. If somebody actually walked into our room, he was able to go, okay, she has a plan. I know what to do. She's going to keep me safe she's going to protect me and i think that's what he needed to hear because he you know he literally was clinging to me and and, he, and this was towards the end of the year so he's almost in 6th grade he's 11 years old and and the fear was all over his face all over his body it was a really real experience for me at that time and i realized how important it is for me to make sure that my students know that that i will keep them safe that it's my job in any situation and especially this
0: Yeah, and I think letting him know that you had a plan. No matter what happens, I got a plan. You can relax into this situation. Now, you've been at two different types of schools. So the one you mentioned earlier, the Fern Creek, where there was a lot of trauma in this children's lives with the homeless and everything, and then you had more of a a middle-class experience, which doesn't mean they haven't had any trauma, but it's a little bit different. Would you agree? I agree, yes, it is different. Okay, so did you notice a difference in those two schools in regard to lockdown practices or how the children reacted or responded?
2: You know, it's interesting because we had a bomb threat at Fern Creek and we had to uh, be evacuated from the school. And I remember the principal coming on and saying, you know, teachers, please look at the back of your name badge and look at what a code blue was. It must have registered on my face as to, oh my goodness, because they immediately just all of them saw my face and I thought, oops. So I, (laughs) I breathed and said, it's okay. We got this. We can handle this. We're going to leave the school for now. We're going to leave our stuff here. I said, I am going to take my purse and we're all going to go out together. But it was immediately, as soon as I said, we were leaving the school, I could feel uh, the tension, the anger, the anxiety rise. And it just came out of all of them. And then we got bused to another school to wait for the the police department to, go through our school. I just was reassuring them the whole time, you're safe, you can handle this, we're together, we're safe here at the middle school waiting, we'll be fine. It was instantaneous with them. The kids were a lot faster to react than my other students were, if that makes sense. Yes. So with the children
0: who have had fewer resources in their lives, the emotion took over them quickly. And children who had had more resources, there seemed to be a gradual building of the anxiety and fear.
2: Yes. At my other school that was more middle of the road, if they knew it was a drill, it wasn't as intense, if that makes sense. They were like, "Okay, this is a drill. Yes, this is serious. When Mrs. Abel's right here, we'll handle it. Whereas at Front Creek, where we had a lot of trauma, it was even a drill took me probably a good hour to hour and a half to talk about it afterwards to get them back to where we needed to be to continue with our day. Whereas at my, my other school, it would take maybe 20 minutes and we'd talk about it. This is what happened and we could go on with our day, but at Fern Creek it would probably take us a good hour after the drill to get through what we needed to talk about before we could start working again.
0: And that's what I want to bring up next, you know, cause we do have the before during, and then we have the after, After the event, and these were drills. So, talk to me about what do you do after a drill, and then we'll take on an actual lockdown that you had.
2: After a drill, we usually you know stand up, go back to our seats, and and we sit down and we talk about. And I say, well, what were you feeling? How did it go for you? And we each kind of share out, and, and I share with them, because I think it's important for students to know that I was feeling anxious, even though I know it's a drill, it's still important for me to make sure that I have my cell phone, that I have the list of students. So I, you know, I can keep track of them. I said, so I feel anxious, making sure that I followed all of the guidelines and the regulations, but my main job is to keep you safe. So we would go through and talk about it. And we'd spend maybe 15 to 20 minutes um, at my school talking about it afterwards. And I'd let them share and talk about it. And then we would move on and continue. On with uh, you know whatever subject we were on Um, at Fern Creek, it would probably take a little bit longer. Um, They'd have a lot more questions, a lot of what if questions. Um, What would you do? How would we handle this? And I'd have to spend some time um, talking with them. So it would take maybe for a drill 45 minutes to an hour with them just to kind of get them back and answer all their questions so that they felt comfortable with the drill. And again, when they're asking this, just for the listeners, when people go on, what if, what if, what
0: if, that's just the voice of anxiety. Right. And so you were listening to their anxiety and letting them release some of that Mm -hmm. that was kind of pent up within. So now let's take a real situation. So now it's not just a drill. It's an actual lockdown and there's somebody out there. There's the bank robber or there's whoever Mm -hmm. out there. What happens after that when they know it's not just a drill? Is it longer or do you have different procedures or what happens when they come back to the classroom?
2: I will say the time that we were stuck in the bathroom at the library, and then we, ha- we had to walk back upstairs, we had to spend quite a bit of time talking after that one, because that was out of the ordinary, it wasn't in their classroom, it was outside, we were at recess. And then we were in a different area that wasn't normally where they're used to doing a drill. And that was just a drill, the recess time into the bathroom. And we had to spend a good portion of our afternoon. And I thought, this is more important than me finishing math and science right now. So We spent some time talking about that and what would really happen if we were out on the playground and a bad person came on campus and and what should we do? And and we talked about having all eyes on Mrs. Abel at recess and making sure you check in to see where I am on a recess field. And it, it was great for me to hear their ideas and their concerns. But that, even though that was a drill, it took us a little longer because it was serious. Again, the what ifs came up. Well, what if this happened and what if that happened? And even though that that was just a drill, we still took uh, some time to talk about it. When we did have the real bank robber that was on our cam- you know running towards our campus, that we probably spent the next day, the next morning at our after our Brain Smart Start, and we actually had a, a class meeting about that. Because some students were still feeling very upset and still feeling very nervous about the day. So it kind of bled into the next day. We had to address it and talk about it. So
0: as you're looking at your whole class, you know, 2025 20, students. Could you tell different students who were kind of getting back into game at different times? Do you know that it would take some students a little longer to, settle back into learning than others?
2: Yeah, I I would definitely say both schools that I was at some kids, you might say, Oh, well, they're daydreaming. But I truly think that they were sitting there just trying to wrap their mind around what had happened. And some of them would go sit in the safe place, you know, after that would happen. And some of them would jump right back in. And I would kind of watch them just to make sure they were doing okay, because some after we talked about would go, Okay, I'm ready to head back to math, or I'm ready to head back into science and or reading. And I'm kind of like, Okay, well, you know, if, just kind of watching them. So yeah, some of them were quick and some of them it took a little bit longer, but I always just kind of had that eagle eye watching to to see their reactions. Like you said, you have to talk about uh, the situation and what happened afterwards. You can't just say, okay, we're gonna jump back in and start in on math because a lot of students aren't capable of comprehending math right now because they're thinking of a million other things that are happening. And how many
0: students did you see you think out of your class that looked like they were daydreaming? (laughs)
2: Thank <laughs> you. I would have to say, just thinking of my classes, I have to say it's mostly my boys, and I would say it was probably a good five, four to five that would just kind of be staring and daydreaming, even after we had spent time uh, talking about it. And I would go around and 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 walk as they were doing work or as I was teaching, and just make mental note of that. And then I would try to make sure that I would make some special connections with them, um, just to make sure that they were they were feeling okay and they were able to process all of this, like you said, and self regulate back to working on their work. Now, what she said, listeners, was crucial, and I'm
0: just going to back up so that you truly heard what she just said, is that the sense of daydreaming or spacing out, it is a sign of possibly a child had previous trauma. So if you've had previous bumps in the road, when these things hit, it kind of knocks you into a, a daydreaming or a dissociative state where you numb out and you can see it in their eyes. And what Kristen just said, Miss Abel, I was going to call you because you're the teacher, but what Miss Abel did was she, one, noticed it, and two, made some kind of connection. I wanted you to hear that word. Because if she had just left it as a discussion, that would have not brought them back into where they were in time and space. They would have been off in a numbed out, Glazed over state, but by her making a connection, trying to either touch them or getting some kind of eye contact, she would actually bring them back into
2: right now. So good for you, Ms. Abel. Thank you. Way to go. Yeah, it's vital to make those connections, and, and I think that is a huge part of uh, what I needed as a teacher and what my students needed from me. And I think especially nowadays with all of these drills and the situations that we're having in our society, it's very important for us to have those connections. Now, since you're in charge of uh, the scheduling of
0: these, uh, do you also do any training on these? Because what you're saying is – you're doing a different kind of preparation. One, you're, you're implementing conscious discipline, but also you're using, you're relying on that self-regulation process during these drills and the actual event. So teachers who aren't using conscious discipline, who are still just kind of in the rewards and punishment stage of dealing with behavior, would you be doing any training on how to teach them to breathe and what you could say during these drills? or are you not in charge of that?
2: I'm not in charge of that yet, but I'm hoping next year that I will be allowed to do a little bit more of that, because I think uh, as educators, we need to know how to help self- self-regulate ourselves during this situation, but then also we can help self-regulate our students um, and our parents, because I, ha- I spent some time talking to some parents this year who immediately went to, we need metal detectors, we need bulletproof windows. And I said, this is hard. And I had a talk with some of my parents this year, and we we had a real open discussion. And I was able to take some deep breaths with them just to help them understand that, yes, I agree with you. But right now, that may not be what's going to happen. So what can we do right now so that our children feel safe at school? So I'm hoping that in the future, I will be able to work with my school and start training some, um, because I think it's beneficial for everyone in these situations. Situations and for our students and for our staff as well. So that
0: brings us up to your top three. You've got the listening ear of many teachers out there. And so what would be three things, top three things that you say is critical for teachers to know, number one?
2: Number one, I think that one of the top three things is that you need to know how to take a deep breath and you need to know how to speak to yourself inside of your brain. And one of the mantras that I say that I learned from Dr. Bailey um, and through Conscious Discipline um, is I'm safe. I can handle this. And I say that all the time, even when I'm in traffic, even when I'm getting ready to start a lesson, even when I'm picking my kids up for lunch. And I know that's an area of frustration for them. I'm constantly taking a deep breath and saying that mantra to myself. And I think that is one of the most important things that you can say and work on as a teacher. And
0: I would add on to that, too, that you can't fake calm with these kids. So that's like uh, Kristen was saying. They're looking at this nonverbal behavior. Mm -hmm. They're watching your face, and they're watching for any sign of distress. So as long as you can stay calm, it has to be a true calm because it has to show on your face.
2: All right, number two. Uh, I totally think that connections is very, very important. Um, I I can't begin to stress that enough. I just did a training with teachers in Virginia, and we had a long talk about making connections with our students, but not only with our students, but also with the staff members you have on uh, campus and the parents that you also serve as well. But I think the connections that you make with your students is priceless. It is one of the biggest bangs for your buck that you can get, and it's also just one of the most important things you can do. Okay, and number three. Number three, I think would be some people might say, oh, I don't know about this, but I really truly believe that the safe place is one of the most important things uh, that you can have in your classroom, in your office. Um, I have one here at home for my husband and myself. I was one of the things I was uh, most scared about, uh, but it is absolutely one of the most key things in my classroom and one of the things I'm most passionate about. And for
0: those listening, if you don't know about the Conscious Discipline Safe Place, it is a self-regulation learning center and a place to practice self-regulation. You know, it's almost like, you know, we teach them math and then they get to practice math by doing math. Pages. So you can't just teach self regulation and not have a place for them to practice it. So they have an opportunity to practice, a place to go where it's legalized calming down, but there are steps to it. So if you want more of that, you can go to the website and check it out. So, Kristen, I want to thank you so much. And also, I want to thank Tiffany for joining us about the younger kids and And you can see the difference between the younger kids and the older kids. It's like they know enough to be scared to death. The little ones don't know quite that much, so they respond in a different way. So thank you so much, Kristen, and good journey to you, especially next year. I hope you get in charge of all the discipline of the whole world, but (laughs) certainly at your school.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Okay. And for those who'd like to know what's Becky up to now, well, I get to work with some wonderful people, with the people of Trinidad and Tobago. And Trinidad and Tobago is a little island, a country located off the north coast of South America, about six miles from Venezuela. It's a tiny country, about 1.2 million people, but they are the most economically developed and most ethnically diverse country in the region. So they became very interested in conscious discipline, and we are going to work with about 80 teachers of different programs, movers and shakers, from all ages, from infants to adults, and alternative education, and boys clubs, and we'll be doing a two-day in that region, and Very excited to be invited to be a part of a culture that enriches both of us. It's a wonderful way to share conscious discipline and to learn from them at the same time. So a celebration. We have a big shout out this time to Springfield, Missouri. They've received a million dollar grant to disseminate conscious discipline throughout the community, all the way from the universities down to the elementary schools. That is very exciting. And some of you might go, oh, wow, how lucky are they? Well, it wasn't luck. They started this 20 years ago. I remember going out there 20 years ago when we first started Conscious Discipline. So some very passionate, persistent, and dedicated people hung on to it, spread it little by little until the whole community saw that it was helping them. And now they're just taking off. That's a very exciting and so a big old yahoo for Springfield, Missouri. For the rest of you, for those listening... Until next time, I wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on
2: iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.